Hey everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Really, really glad that you're here. Welcome those of you over in East Hall, those of you tuning in, uh, welcome. Uh, a couple of, let's say, three bits of family news before I introduce our new series. Uh, the first is this. Uh, some of you know about our ministry called Restoration Chapel. It's a venue that we have at the Cauga Hills Juvenile uh, Correctional Facility up in Cleveland. Uh, we send uh, a team uh, up there every Wednesday to minister to those guys who are incarcerated. And this past week, we had another part of our ministry called Door Number Two. Door Number Two is our visual arts ministry. They had created an experience that they called the I Am Experience. They actually uh, put it up for us uh, back here at the, at the Hudson campus on Good Friday, right before Easter. And it was a time you could walk through kind of this experience of Jesus' suffering, his death, and then you go into a tomb and the empty tomb and the resurrection and all of that. They got permission, door number two got permission to go up and set it up at the correctional facility. And the inmates walked through it. And as a result, 44 young men gave their lives to Jesus Christ this past weekend. Yeah. Very cool. Be praying for uh, those guys, all right? Uh, second bit of family news. You've been hearing about this uh, conference that we are calling Remind Conference. It's, uh, we are hosting it for Ravi Zacharias Ministries. I really feel like this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for our church. We don't ever expect to be able to get this lineup here again with Ravi coming and Vincent and Joe Vitale and Sam Alberry and uh, Abdu Murray, and then to have Lecrae uh, performing in concert. Uh, if you are in the age group between uh, being a student and being a young adult, make time and go ahead and register. Uh, my wife and I feel like it's so important we are flying our daughter up from Houston just so she can experience it because we feel like it will add so much strength to her faith at this time. So uh, we, there's been kind of a glitch with registrations, and so we're not sure how many tickets we have left. We may only have about 300 tickets left, and it's still a month away. But don't uh, delay if you want to go to that uh, conference, all right? And the last thing is we have a special speaker coming uh, Friday, July 13th. Her name is Dr. Rosaria Butterfield. Uh, Rosaria Butterfield has been on my bucket list to go hear her speak somewhere ever since I read her story. And then we were able to score her coming here. Caleb Ernesty actually got her to agree to come here and speak to us. Uh, she uh, was a professor of English at Syracuse University where she led the LGBTQ kind of movement across colleges and universities back in the 1990s, and then had this radical conversion to Jesus. It is a remarkable story. So do not miss it. It's uh, July 13th. Circle that date, put a star by it, and come. It's part of our whole theme of being transformed and hearing these stories of lives that have been absolutely changed by a relationship with Jesus. All right? Okay. New series this weekend, We're calling it Shift, Five Ways God Shapes Your Life. It actually came out of an impromptu kind of conversation with some staff members here. We were just talking about what God used to really change us, to really grow us as disciples. And one of the first things that people mentioned was friendship. God uses friends 
to change us, to shape us, to help us grow closer to Him. It makes sense. In the book of Acts, uh, after Jesus ascends into heaven, Peter preaches the very first Christian sermon, and 3,000 people begin to follow Jesus as a result of that sermon, and the church kind of explodes into the world. And I use the term, they began to follow Jesus instead of accepting Jesus, because sometimes when we talk about accepting Jesus as our Savior, it seems like a one-time event, and it stops. I was with a, a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking. He had his 10-year-old son with him. We were out in my yard, and he said, hey, my, uh, my son just, started, uh, just became a follower of Jesus. And I said, oh, really? That's great. Congratulations. And, and then uh, he said, yeah, when he was nine, he came up to me and he said, Dad, I've been listening to everything you've been saying about Jesus, and I believe everything that you've told me, so I'm ready to believe in him, and I'm ready to receive him as my Savior. And my, uh, my friend said to him, oh, that's great, but let me ask you a question first. What do you want to do when you grow up? And his, uh, his son's eyes lit up, and he said, I want to be a, a video game designer. And his dad said, okay, that's good. Uh, but let me ask you this. If Jesus came to you and you knew it was Jesus, and he said to you, I want you to be a janitor when you grow up, what would you tell him? And his son looked at him and he said, I would tell him I want to be a video game designer. And his dad said to him, okay, you're not ready. You believe in Jesus, but you're not ready to follow him. So go ahead and keep thinking about it, and when you're ready to follow him, come back and talk to me. Six months later, his son came back to him and said, okay, Dad, I'm ready to follow Jesus. I will do what Jesus wants me to do. I will be whatever Jesus wants me to be. How powerful is that? All right, so these 3,000 people come into faith in Jesus Christ, and they begin to follow him. The church explodes into the world. And in Acts chapter 2, there's this passage that has kind of served as a, as a blueprint for the essentials of a church. And let me read it for you. This is what it says. Uh, Acts chapter 2, I'll read verses uh, 42 to 47. It says, And they, these 3,000 people, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Okay, this is God's word. Now, right at the beginning, Luke, who is the writer of the book of Acts, lists out kind of four things everybody was focused on. I don't know if you caught it. Verse 42 it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That second thing that he mentions, fellowship, is a word that we don't use very often. We don't really understand what it means, but what it means is relationship. What it means is friendship. So here's the question. How did this early church that burst into the world grow so rapidly? How did they 
they change individually and corporately and receive such power that they actually began to change the world? How did they become transformative? And one of the answers, one of the pillars, was friendship, their relationship with each other. Listen, you will not grow as a Christian. You will not be able to survive doubt and adversity. You will not be able to be a part of what God is doing in this world without friends. You need to have a friend. You need to be a friend both. Three points for this morning. Why we need friends, what kind of friends we need, and when do we need them? Why we need friends, what kind of friends do we need, and when do we need them? First, why do we need friends? You are hard, hard wired for friends. And I say that in that way because uh, your need for relationship is not a result of sin or the brokenness in this world or inside of you. We have a lot of needs that are connected to the brokenness that we have inside of us because of sin. But our need for relationship and for friendship is not one of those. And I say that because of a verse in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 3 is when sin enters the world. So this is before sin enters the world. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God is creating all that is, right? And the universe is rocking with uh, the sounds of laughter and joy. And I say that because of a verse in, uh, <clears throat> in Job 38, when I read this a while ago. Uh, at the end of Job, God shows up and he says to Job, where were you when I formed the foundations of this earth? And he's talking about creation. Then he says, when the angels, when the sons of God shouted for joy. And I've thought since then that what was it like for the angels when God created all that is and it burst into existence? Now, this is uh, Fourth of July week. And when you uh, go to a fireworks show, if you're sitting, standing around the right people, they're going to be responding, right? There's going to be a burst of fireworks and the people around you are going to go, ooh. Ah, right? Imagine if you were an angel watching God create a nebula, watching him create the Milky Way, or this world, this earth with the rivers and the mountains and elephants and giraffes. I just think that the angels were just pointing and laughing and shoving each other and just going, can you believe this, right? And that's what's happening. And in all this laughter and joy, all of a sudden it comes to a screeching halt in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And this is what it says. First time God says something's not good. He says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. It's not good that the man should be alone. God hardwired human beings for relationship. So it's not good for you to be alone. Uh, I went to... Uh, nine schools in my first 12 years of education. And the first days of being a new kid at a new school are excruciating. Actually, it's excruciating until you get a friend. I remember being in elementary school uh, when we had just moved from uh, Ohio to New York. And I was at Wampus Elementary School. And my parents had given me this box for... Uh, with school supplies in it. I don't know if you remember those boxes. They had uh, pencils and a pencil sharpener and a little eraser and everything, everything you might need. And so I had that box, and the kid next to me was talking to the kid next to him. 
and I was lonely, and so I put this box in my desk, and I turned and I tapped this kid on the shoulder, and I still remember this. And he turned around and said, what? And I said, do you have an eraser I can borrow? I didn't need an eraser. I had an eraser. What I needed was a friend. Right? So that's what happened. And when you get a friend, oh, it changes everything. There's hardly anything more exhilarating for a kid than to get on a school bus and look down that corridor of seats and have somebody's face light up when he sees you and say, you, come, I saved a seat just for you. This is for you. And if you're a parent and you send your kid to a new school, every day when they come home, you ask them, how's your day? And what you're asking is, do you have a friend yet? And you know you're asking that, and you say, and you say hey, how was your day? And finally, your child says, I had a great day. As a mom or as a dad, you say, tell me about it, and they, they tell you about the friend that they have. And so you're relieved, but your relief is short-lived. you know why? Because your next question is what? What kind of kid is this? Right? Because we know that friends impact us. I was just watched a TED Talk. It was fascinating. I don't know if you know what a TED Talk is. These 15 or 20-minute talks on all kinds of subjects. They are fascinating. But I just uh, watched one by a sociologist named Nicholas uh, Christakis. And uh, he was doing a, a talk on what he called the social fabric of culture and how friends impact each other. And the, the study began with obesity. And this is what he said. He said, if your friends are obese, you have a 45% greater risk of obesity. And then this is where it got interesting. He said, if your friends' friends are obese, you're not obese, or your friends aren't obese, but your friends' friends are obese, your risk is still 25% higher. If your friends' friends' friends are obese, and then he says this, people you don't even know, your risk is still 10% higher. It's not until the fourth degree of separation that people cease having an impact on your behavior and on your lifestyle. And they try to figure out why, and some of it they thought might be eating habits, that you tend to eat what your friends eat. But more than that, it was what you then determine uh, what is an acceptable body size. And then I started thinking how that impacts all things, right? That, that means our friends impact us. And what we think about, I don't know, what we think is acceptable in politics, what we think is, is acceptable in the way that we treat people, what's acceptable in the way that we talk, what's, a, what's an acceptable amount of racism that you can have, what is it about faith? Right? In Acts chapter 2, the church explodes into the world, and then those people begin to impact their friends, and then their friends impact friends and and it, it goes on into concentric circles. And this is what I want you to know. That your friends impact you in ways you are not even conscious of. And people impact you you don't even know. And they do it through, their, through your friends. And you do the same thing for them. That's why it's so important to go to the second point, which is what kind of friends do we need? What kind of friends do we need? My daughter, Rachel, for Father's Day, uh, decided to give me a couple of books. And these are the two books that she gave me. Right? My, my daughter, Rachel, has always been kind of a go big or go home kind of person. So she's like, you like reading? Here, have these books. Read this. Uh, these are actually uh, C.S. Lewis 
uh, books. There are 11 books involved in these two volumes, 11 of his 55 books that he wrote. But I've been rereading uh, some of these, and uh, I was reading what, a book that he called The Four Loves. And in The Four Loves, he takes the four Greek words for love, and he talks about each one. Agape, which is the love that we attribute to God for the most part. And then there's eros, where we get the word erotic, that's a sexual or intimate kind of love. And then storge, which is the kind of love that we have for family members. And then finally phileo, which is the kind of love we have for friends. And when he talks about friendships, he says, that, he says something interesting. He says, every friendship has to be about something else other than friendship. It's like there's something in the middle, and friends glob on to that thing in the middle. This is the way he puts it. He says, the very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. Where the truthful answer to the question, do you see the same truth, would be I see nothing, and I don't care about the truth. I only want a friend. No friendship can arise. There would be nothing for the friendship to be about, and friendship must be about something even if it were only an enthusiasm for dominoes or white mice. Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. And this is what he's saying, is that every friendship is about something. And you can know that when you start to think about your friends and the different people that you see. And when you see them, you immediately go to a certain thing to talk about. In John chapter 15, Jesus says something very, very profound, and it was shocking, really. It actually is one of those things that makes Christianity different than all other religions. Uh, Jesus is just about heading to the cross, and he, uh, he turns to his disciples, and he says this, beginning at verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I've heard from my Father I have made known to you. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, no longer do I call you my servants, but I call you my friends. And I tell you that that makes Christianity stand out because there's no other religion in the world that remotely suggests that God wants to be your friend. No other religion in the world will give you the image of getting on a school bus and looking down and seeing, and the face that lights up is the face of Jesus who looks at you and says, listen, you, come, sit with me. I've been saving this just for you. But Christianity does. And this is what I want you to know. I, I have friends that the thing that we glob onto, the thing that our friendship is about, is about sports. So when we get together, we talk about the Cavs, and you know, now all you talk about is whether LeBron's staying or going. Ugh, just make a decision. But <laughs> then I have other friends where we talk about uh, things like politics. But what I need are friends where the thing that we glob onto is Jesus. If God's going to use a friend to really shape me, to make me more like him, then I need somebody who knows Jesus and knows me, who loves Jesus and loves me. And you do too. Listen, you will not grow 
You will not be able to survive doubt and adversity unless you have friends like that. If your closest friends, if there's not a single person who knows Jesus and knows you, who loves Jesus and loves you in your inner circle, then all the weight of influence is on you to try to influence them, and that never works. I've only been in that situation a couple times in my life, and I crashed and burned because they influenced me way more than I was able to influence them. So God uses friends, but you have to have a friend who knows you, knows Jesus, loves you, loves Jesus. All right? And that brings me to the last thing is when do we need these friends? When do we need them? I almost called this last point the moments we need friends because there are moments in our lives where friends really have an opportunity to shine. There's a passage in Ecclesiastes that talks about friends. This is what it says, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. These four verses have four moments for friendship. And the first moment I call the moment of mission. That's verse 9. Two are better than one, for they have a good reward for their toil. There's something about doing something with people. One of the best things we did last year when our theme was Thy Kingdom Come was the kingdom assignment where I invited people up, gave them each a $100 bill, and said, I want you to, this is your your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to go and try to multiply this $100 bill and then give it away. Give all the money away to make an impact for Jesus somewhere. And everybody who got that $100 bill, they would look at it and they would try to think, okay, what does God want me to do with this? And then they would think, how am I going to multiply this? And then they would form a team of their friends. And what they would say to their friends is, this is what we want to do. Will you help us? And the very best stories that came back were stories of, of groups of people, of friends, joining together and doing something together. And that, that not only did something for the world, it also did something inside of their hearts. The best friends I have ever had, I had because we did something together for God on a mission trip. Somebody, I was just down uh, early this morning talking with the deacons, and our deacons are a group of men that, that do things that no one else sees, and they, they have little teams. They've broken up into teams, and those teams become friends, whether they realize it or not. When we say to you, listen, after you've been coming here for a while, find a place to serve, it's not just for what you do. It's for who you do it with. Because if you have not found a friend who loves you, loves Jesus, knows you, knows Jesus, then the best way to find them is to have a moment of mission with them. All right, that's the first moment. The second moment is what I'm calling a moment of pain. Verse 10, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who's alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Uh, falling hurts, always. Even, it doesn't matter why you fall. It doesn't matter if you are pushed down or knocked down. It doesn't matter if you trip and fall on your own and it's self-inflicted. When you fall, it hurts. And I don't know if uh, something has ever happened to you where you feel like you have fallen. 
Well, you've fallen because you've been knocked down by a boss or a coworker or a former friend or whatever it is. The question is, who is there? Who is in your life who will remind you when you have fallen that God has not given up on you, that God still loves you, that God still wants you? Who will sit down with you until you're ready to get up and then stand up first and help you up? If you don't have a friend like that, you need one because there will come a time in your life, whether self-inflicted or caused by someone else, where you will feel like you have fallen and you can't get up on your own. You need somebody to help you up. That's the moment of pain. The third moment is what I'm calling a moment of loneliness. It says this, Again, if two lie down together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Uh, there are times when uh, you can feel like the whole universe has gone cold because you're so alone. Well, let me stop right here. Let me kind of switch kind of how you're thinking about it in your head. Because if you're like me, uh, when I was preparing this, I was thinking about how my friends would work with me. And right here, I want you to start thinking about someone you know who might be feeling alone. And you probably know somebody where they feel alone because of a divorce or because of a death or because of a loss of some kind. And you know that somehow they're feeling alone, but you haven't reached out to them because you don't know what to say. And my thing is this, you don't have to know what to say. All you have to do is tell them, you're not alone. I'm here with you. And you can even say, I don't know what to say or anything. I don't know what to do. But I know this. You're not alone. I'll be with you. All right? That's the pain of loneliness. And finally, the last pain is the pain of attack. It says, though a man might prevail against one who's alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Okay. Uh, every once in a while, you'll feel attacked. Uh, I don't know when it's happened to you. It's happened to me a few times. And I need somebody to, to reach out to because uh, sometimes you can feel overwhelmed and being attacked. Uh, I have several friends around the country, and we, have, we are all pastors, and we have kind of bound ourselves together with an, with an oath. We say, if you ever feel like you're being attacked, like you're going down, you call me. Call me. And all I have to do is call one of these guys and say, listen, uh, I feel attacked. Will you stand with me? And each one of, them, one of them will say, I will stand with you. I will fight for you. I will fight with you. What do you need? I will be on a plane tomorrow. And I would do the same thing for them. Who is it in your life that when you feel attacked, you can say, will you stand with me? Will you help me? Listen, everybody needs friends. But you need friends that will do more than talk to you about sports or talk to you about cooking or talk to you about gardening or talk to you about exercise. You need friends who will talk to you about Jesus, who will know you, know him, love you, love him. Listen, this is true. In Acts chapter 2, the, the, the early church exploded onto the scene of the world. And in a very short time, they transformed the world. And they did it by devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to deep, abiding relationships with each other where they would do mission together, they would do pain together, they would do loneliness together, and they would do attacks together. 
and the breaking of bread and prayer. Listen, no one who's a follower of Jesus should feel like a new kid in a new school for very long. The church should be like this bus, like the corridor of a bus, where there's all kinds of people saying, looking up, and their face lights up when they see that person, and they say, listen, you can sit here. You can sit here. Because that's what Jesus did for you. That's what Jesus did for me. Jesus' face lit up when he saw you, and he said to you, you can be my friend. I will be your friend. In the midst of everything you go through, Greater love is no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus said, no longer do I call you my servants, but I call you my friends. One of the ways that God shapes you into the person that he wants you to be is through friends. You need one. You need to be one. All right? Transformed. 2018. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we uh, come to you and we are uh, so grateful uh, that you have called us your friend. What an astounding thing to say. Uh, Thank you that you have brought every single person to this place and you know that all of us need friends where you are our common binder. You are the one that, that calls us together. We all need someone else who knows you and knows us, loves you, loves us. And so I pray that our church will be the kind of church where there aren't any people who feel alone, like a new kid in a new school. Make us uh, a group of people bound together by deep friendship and use that friendship to mold us into who you want us to be and then use us to impact this world the way you want us to impact it. Thanks. We pray this in your blessed name. Amen.